Last semester, I took a seminary class in preaching, and one of the things that my professor taught me there was that in preaching, always remember context. Always remember that when you read a passage of Scripture, there's passage before it and passage behind it that supports it and that goes along with it. And his recommendation to us in the class was, Never just read that passage of Scripture that you're going to preach from. Read the entire book, the entire letter. That If you're reading one of Paul's letters, read the whole letter. If you're reading the Gospels, read that whole book, which is probably why most preachers don't preach from Leviticus or Deuteronomy any more than they do. But he, told, he, he taught us to always take everything around it and build the context that is going on. There's a story going on there. And this morning we're looking at one of the great stories in all of the Scripture, Jesus and the woman at the well of Samaria in John chapter 4. But as you look what has happened before in John chapter 4, as you look at John chapter 3, you begin to discover one of the greatest contrasts in how Jesus ministered to people and the great call of the gospel for us to reach each and every single person, no matter who they are, what walk of life they're from. In John chapter 3, we see Jesus meeting with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus had come to Jesus at night to ask Jesus questions about his ministry and about the way that Jesus was teaching. Nicodemus, who was a very uh, educated man, saw some things and heard some things that Jesus was saying, and he realized that they were different from anything that he had ever heard, and he wanted to go to the source and learn more about it. So we see there in John chapter 3, Jesus, uh, we see that God has a very wide variety of taste in people. He's not prejudiced. He's no respecter of persons. God loves all kinds of people. And two people could not have been more different than Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Now think about in the world's eyes um, of Jesus' day and how they looked at these two people. Nicodemus was a somebody. The Samaritan woman was a nobody. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a religious leader. He was somebody. The Samaritan woman was nobody. He was a man. She was a woman. In the society there that they lived in, she had no value. She was a possession of whoever she was married to, more or less, in the day and time that Jesus lived. He was orthodox. He was a Jew. He worshipped a specific way. She was heterodox means that she was non-conforming to the way that Nicodemus would have worshipped. He was a moral man. She was an immoral woman. He was a scholar. She was uneducated. He was a church man. She was a woman of the world. But in God's eyes, in God's eyes, what they had in common was far more important than, what, than, uh, than their differences. They both think that they're spiritually okay. But they were both spiritually dead and blind. They're both lost. Therefore, they both need the Savior of the world 
And God loved them both. Most importantly, God loved them both. And that's why after Jesus had spent some time with Nicodemus in Jerusalem and had told him this most famous saying, this most famous verse that we know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. After Jesus explains this to Nicodemus, He leaves Judea and He departs again to Galilee. But the Scriptures tell us here that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Now if you're using the old King James Version, He said He must needs go. It was urgent for Jesus to travel through Samaria to go to Galilee. Why? It was not a geographical necessity. It was really not what Jesus was used to doing if you look at the geography there. Most Jews went east of the Jordan through Perea because they didn't want to have any contact with any Samaritans. Any Samaritans. If they came in contact, if they actually went into the physical geography that they considered to be Samaria, they would dust their clothes off. They hated the Samaritans so bad that they didn't even want the dust from Samaria on their clothes. And so they, they went out of their way not to have any contact. Jesus is now going out of His way to make sure that He does have contact with someone in Samaria. It would, it, if they had contact with them, they felt that it made them ceremonial, un, uh, ceremonially unclean. They also knew that if they went into Samaria, they wouldn't get any hospitality from the Samaritan, the Samaritan people. The Samaritan people hated the Jews as much as the Jews hated the Samaritans. So why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? Because it was a moral necessity that He go, and it was a spiritual necessity. He wanted to love the unpeople. Look at verses 5-7 through seven here with me. We'll take these in sections this morning. He had left Judea, and now in verse number 5, <coughs> he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So, Jesus has gone here to reach a group of people, or to reach one person to begin with, who is an unperson to most of his companions. <coughs> the Samaritans are descendants of the intermarriage between the Assyrians and the Jews after the 8th century B.C. Assyrian captives. They're mixed race, semi-orthodox. They practice cultic and pagan religious religion, and their temple is not in Jerusalem, but it's on Mount Gerizim. They are considered by the Jews to be racially, ethnically, culturally, and spiritually inferior. And so Jesus now encounters one of these people, and we see now how Jesus reaches the un the unpeople. First of all, he does the unthinkable. Look, let's continue. Here, verse, thank you, sweetheart. Uh, you're precious. 
Look at verse number 7. Let's, let's begin here again in verse number 7. He says, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who, is, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him <coughs> will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus did the unthinkable here. First of all, Jesus loved her without prejudice. <coughs> he didn't look at who she was. He took the initiative in speaking to a Samaritan woman. This is astonishing. This is a complete break with his culture and tradition. But what he is doing here is he is showing his desire to save the lost. He went completely out of his way to save the lost. When is the last time that you've been out of your way or gone out of your way to minister or to witness to someone. Now, Friday. I've told y'all before, I do as much ministry at Foodland as I do anywhere else. Because I'm there two, three times a day. And on Friday, they had a one-day sale. And so I got my sales paper, and I looked at the one-day sale, and I figured out the things that I wanted. Some of those things were frozen foods. So I went to the store... And I filled up my buggy with all the one-day sale stuff. And it's Friday morning. I'm in a hurry because I'm coming here later on to, to work on some things. So I get, my, I get my buggy and I push it out to the parking lot. And I'm loading up my stuff in the, in the car. And I'm thinking I need to hurry and get home because I got some frozen stuff in here. And just as I'm closing the lid on the hatch, a man is standing next to me. And he says these words to me. Hey, Michael, can you walk around here to the side of the building and talk to my wife? She's in really bad shape and she's about to leave me and she's all I have. And I said, now, <clears throat> being transparent, human nature being honest, what was the first thing that went through my mind? Dude, I got my chicken fingers in here. <coughs> and I don't want them to thaw out and ruin. But what's my obligation? I said, okay, man. I said, here's what I do. I said, you get my buggy, and you push it back in the store, and I'll walk around here, and I'll talk to her. And so I went around, and I talked to her. And I, sat, I, I stood there with her, and, and she, she's weeping. And I talk to her for a, a few minutes. And first of all, I make, sure, I make sure that she's safe where she is. 
I want to make sure that she's not in a bad situation. She assured me that she was safe. And so I talked to her about going back home, and, and, all the, and we went through, and I had prayer with her there on the side of the parking lot. I went back, and I found him, and I, I talked to him, and I talked to him about his spiritual condition, about where he was as a leader in his household. His assurance to me was, I never put my hands on her. And I said, look, if you hit her and black her eye, it's black for a week but your words are in her heart for the rest of her life. And so he said, thank you, that's what I need to work on. And so I got back in, I got home, I got my chicken fingers and my um, other frozen foods, I got them in the fridge, everything was good. But there are opportunities that every single one of us have, week in and week out. We live in a community that is so different than the community that we grew up in. Hear me when I say that. This is not the Piedmont you grew up in. This is a different world. And we have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to stop and take a moment and take the initiative and go out of our way. Even if, if I had $15 worth of chicken fingers, what does that matter in eternity? Take the time and take... Jesus is our example here. Jesus is our example of taking the time and the initiative. John makes a comment here about the Jews having no dealing with the Samaritan because he wants to explain to the reader uh, that outside of Palestine, Samaritans were considered to be in a continual state of uncleanness. Meaning that if a Samaritan came to Jerusalem to go into the temple... They wouldn't allow them to go into the temple because they were racially and they were spiritually and they were culturally. They felt like they were insignificant and inferior to the Jews and they wouldn't have even let them go into the temple. America. America. Wake up. Listen, this is so deep here Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Now, where's he going to get that drink? He's going to get it from a bucket that she draws up and from a jar that she drinks out of. To the Jews, if Jesus drank after this Samaritan woman, he would be, un he would be seen unclean and not be allowed to go back into the temple. Now, when my boys were small... Every time I would open a bottle of water or every time I would open a Coke or every time I had a glass of sweet tea, without fail, one of them would come by and say, Daddy, can I have a drink? Now with Grayson, Grayson was always neat and tidy and clean. And he was never in a hurry for anything. And he'd take his time and get a drink of water or get my sweet tea. I had no problem. I'd turn it right back up after him. No big deal. Then Bryson came along. And Bryson was normally wearing three layers of dirt on his face from outside, and he was normally just unkempt and just, just I, I, you never knew where he'd been or what he'd been eating or anything. And Bryson would come along, and he would want a drink of that water, or he'd want a drink of that tea, and he'd get it, and Bryson was never slow about anything. He was always in a hurry to get to the next thing. And he'd turn that up, and about half of what went in his mouth would come back into what you were drinking, and Bryson would run on to the next thing. 
And so when Bryson Bryson would always, he was always sweet though. He'd say, thanks daddy, I love you. And I'd say, I love you too, bud. And then when he was gone, I would take it and I would go to the sink and I'd pour it out. Because it was unclean. That's how, that's how the, that's how the contemporaries of Jesus viewed this woman. She was unclean to them in every single thing that she did, but Jesus went out of His way to meet her and to minister to her. Take those opportunities to do those things. Jesus, He did the unthinkable, and then Jesus offered her the same gospel He offered Nicodemus. Now, when He says living water to her in verse number 10, She's used to drawing water up out of a well. And in her mind, living water is a fresh running stream of clear, pure water. And she has that image in her mind that Jesus is talking about a stream somewhere where fresh water is running and flowing and it's crystal clear and pure. And she wants a drink of that water. But Jesus is really talking about the Holy Spirit that can come into a life and, and can change and dwell in a believer and change that believer and the thirst and desires of this world will never be the same again. Now, he, she says to him, how are you going to get this water? This well is deep and you don't even have a bucket to draw with. Today, this same well is there in existence and it's over a hundred feet deep, but it was much deeper at the time that Jesus was there. And I can imagine that this Samaritan woman, every day that she came and lowered and lowered that bucket down, she is thinking in her mind, my sins are even deeper than this well. My sins are even deeper than this well, and they're so deep that nobody could forgive me of this. And she has an unquenchable desire about, she, she wants to have this filled, but she feels like, she is too far gone in her sins. So she talks to Jesus. In verse number 12, we see she refers to Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel, or the descendant of Abraham, who is the father. And Jacob had, had dug this well. And she feels that because of this, she is as much a descendant of Jacob as Jesus is who is a Jew. And she has no idea how much greater Jesus is than Jacob, her fore, the forefather. And Jesus tells her in verse number 14, He goes on to talk to her, and He says, if you drink of the water that I'm going to give you, you will never be thirsty again. Never be thirsty again. I was so thirsty when she brought this, glass, this bottle of water up, I'm going to get another drink. It's making some of you thirsty. Spiritually, though, spiritually, we live in a nation, we live in a world, we live in a community where people are so thirsty and they just don't know what for. And people fill their lives up with stuff and materialism and the things of this world and the, and the successes that they feel of this world, and they're still thirsty. And they still have desire for more. When Jesus is saying here, I'll give you something that will quench that desire inside of you and fill that hole and that void in your life 
and you will never have to live that way again. Now she takes Jesus literally. She thinks still that he's talking about the physical, about physical, about a glass of water or some water. And Jesus often used terms of the visible, physical world. When he was talking to Nicodemus just a day before, he talked to him about birth. He explained salvation to Nicodemus through being born again. Now he's talking to this lady about living water. He will call himself the bread of light, the bread of, of life and the light of the world. He's always using things that people can see and feel to teach them spiritual lessons. So he takes her to this point, and then in verses 16 through 18, he mentions the unmentionable. Read those verses with me here. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. He mentioned the unmentionable. Now what are you told that you're never supposed to discuss if you're at a dinner party or you're uh, around in a social setting, two things you're never supposed to discuss. Religion, politics. <coughs> How could you have avoided talking about politics this week? It's all that's there. It's all that's on the news. It's all that's, it's, uh, all that's on the internet. Religion and politics. Two things that we're not supposed to talk about. But Jesus goes even further here. Because if you talk about those things, you can cause some debate and some hurt feelings and lose friendships over them. But Jesus goes further here. He talks about this lady's, this woman's personal life. He talks about her marital status. He says, you've had five husbands. Now, it doesn't matter. Jesus does, it doesn't declare here whether they have died or, they're, or she's divorced from those five men. And then he goes on to say that the one you have now is not your husband. Meaning that she is living with a man and she's not married to him. There's been no public uh, marriage ceremony honoring God there. And Jesus points this out to her because he wants her to see and understand what it is that's causing all this grief in her heart. This sin that she's living in and this lifestyle that she just keeps repeating over and over and over again, Jesus wants her to see clearly this is the thing that you are so troubled about. Now, we, treat, we preach grace. We preach grace. And we preach that God is a forgiving God who, who saves us by faith through grace. But here's what we don't do so much in our churches anymore. We don't tell truth and then point you to grace. Jesus is our example here. Jesus pointed out the truth to her and told her, you can have grace. Understand where I'm, what, what I'm saying here. She had to repent. 
She had to ask for forgiveness. She had, she, she had to be, she had to repent from the lifestyle that she was living. She had to turn and go in another direction. Jesus tells her truth and then shows her grace. Because grace will cause you to change. I lived a lifestyle that was anything but compatible to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I did not want to change that lifestyle. I thought that I was, I thought I was happy. I thought I enjoyed life. I thought that things were great. And then I, God convicted me so hard of that lifestyle and pointed out that it was the reason that there was, this, there was this true reality of emptiness in my life. And then He gave me grace, and I have not wanted to be a part of that lifestyle since because of the grace and forgiveness of God. Truth. Jesus gives truth and then grace. And grace causes her to want to change. And then Jesus touches the untouchables. Let's finish here. 19 through 29. <coughs> the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus touched the untouchables. Now, she changes the subject, and some people think that she changed the subject because she was uncomfortable talking about her lifestyle and her sin. But maybe she has finally found a man she could trust to answer these questions for her. But most importantly about all this is God came seeking her. God came seeking her. God came seeking me. God came seeking you. Jesus physically came to this earth to seek and to save those who are lost. Now His Word is proclaimed to us and it continues to seek and save those who are lost. God is seeking people this morning through His Holy Spirit. She talks about worship. She changes the subject to worship and she says, we worship here on Mount Gerizim. You worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, some days coming when neither on this mountain or any other will people worship. They'll no longer have to travel to a physical temple in a city to worship, but will be able to worship God in every place at any time. Where do you worship? Is this the only place, is this physical four walls the only place where you worship? 
You can worship anywhere at any time where you are. I love to worship here. I love to be here on the front pew of this church singing Amazing Grace or I Am Free and to worship through, through song. But there are times through the week when I come in here all by myself and I just sit in the silence and the stained glass and I just, without saying a word, I just, I just feel the presence of God. There are times my favorite place to worship is sitting in my backyard with my scriptures and with, with my markers and with and, and, and my prayer time when there's just me and the Lord and the hummingbirds and the squirrels. I love to worship there more than any other place. Some of you probably um, sit in nature. Some of you may worship sitting in the deer stand. I don't know. Some I don't know where it is that you that you feel the most compelled to worship. But Jesus said, "There's coming a time." People used to have to make pilgrimages from their homes to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. I'm free to worship anywhere that I am. Where do you worship? How do you worship? How do you worship? Do you worship? I've I've had some people to tell me when we are doing work here or when we're serving other people in our community, I've had men to tell me this is one of the ways that I worship is through serving other people and through helping other people and through being a help to someone who can't help themselves. Some of you worship that way. Some of you uh, worship through your work and how you help other people or you worship, some of you worship through your small group or your D-Life group. So, listen, Sunday school can be one of the most incredible places of worship <coughs> that you'll ever go to. Worship. It doesn't matter where or, or how, but worship. Spend time worshiping the Lord. He continues to say that God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. God is Spirit. He exists everywhere at all times. And then He shows he has, he, has, he has come to this woman and He has exhibited such grace to her and talked to her and witnessed to her and His disciples come back and they begin to question about what is happening here. And, and Jesus is just completely... Satisfied. If you look on in verse number 32, his disciples are urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. He's completely satisfied. Why? Because he's on mission. He has a mission to accomplish here on this earth, and that mission is to share the gospel and to provide a way of everlasting salvation to God the Father through Him. And He has completed that mission. And now He says, I am so satisfied in my soul, I can't even think about eating. Have you ever won someone to Christ? It is the most satisfying experience that you will ever be a part of, winning and leading someone to Christ. Even if you planted the seed of that, and later on, someone else it bears the fruit of actually 
It is the most satisfying thing to be a part of, is winning somebody to Jesus. We talked about it last week when we talked about our D-Life sermon, and we talked about multiplying. We talked about how each and every one of us has a call and has a responsibility, and we're all on mission to lead other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this great example that we have here this morning through these Scriptures. Jesus leading people to salvation, to repentance, and to everlasting life. What a great example here as he, we see in John chapter 3 as He takes a man who is privileged, a man who is respected, and He teaches him about salvation, and then He goes to a woman who is scorned and who's looked down upon and who is an outcast, but yet He wins them both to eternity. So the lesson for us today is this. Listen to me. There are no distinctions among Jesus. There are no red states. There are no blue states. There are people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no saviors on this earth. There is no one who's going to take us to a better place politically, but there is one who's going to take us to a much better world eternally. Amen? Because if, if, if we live in a nation of two people this week, those who are extremely disappointed and those who are overjoyed, I have joy every day. My hope is not in the political process. My hope is not in, my hope is in Jesus. Jesus, who came to seek and save those who are lost. That's the call this morning. And He's asking each and every one of us to answer that call and He's given us the example of how to answer that call. And so this morning, our desire should be to go and to reach those no matter who they are or what state of life they're in to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, that's my challenge to you. We've been talking a lot here lately about discipleship and discipling people and growing people to maturity. This morning, I want to challenge you again not to lose focus that our main responsibility is to win people to Jesus Christ and then plug them into discipleship. How are you doing? What are you doing? How are you doing it? Evangelism. Evangelism is the key. And we live in a world, I heard someone, I've heard two or three people say this week, well, the Lord's give us another chance. I don't know. I don't know God's timing. Only God knows His timing. I, I, don't, I have no idea what, what the future holds. But I know this, from looking at this world, it is urgent 
that we take the gospel and leave this building with it and go and tell others. We sat and listened to a missionary last night from Nicaragua talk to us about how he is going and expanding the, 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 and the sense of urgency that he feels to go on seven-hour riverboat rides and, and to go in places where no one's ever been before to take the gospel to villages where no one's ever been before. Because he feels the urgency that time is running out. So that's my challenge to you this morning is, where are you? Are you at the grocery store? Are you at school? Are you at work? People all around you are hurting and need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and need to know that He is the answer. Take the gospel to them. I'm going to ask Micah to come this morning. We're going to close. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a believer, I want you to search your heart this morning and ask yourself, how am I doing in taking this gospel to other people? If you're here this morning and you've heard this message and you've, you've, you've heard about Jesus going and reaching people and sharing the gospel with them, taking it to them, I want you to understand this morning that Jesus is making that same call to you here today. Through God the Holy Spirit, He's speaking to your heart and He's pointing to Jesus. And He wants to begin a relationship with you here today. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if, if that's talk that kind of confuses you or you really don't understand it, would you come this morning and, and come right here and let me share with you through the, through the Bible how you can know Jesus and know that you have eternal life. Maybe you've seen the example of others who know that they're a Christian and they follow Jesus in believers' baptism or church membership. Maybe that's your call this morning today. Whatever it is, would you use this time wisely? Pray about what you're doing with the gospel and ask God what you need to be doing. Would you stand this morning? Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray this morning that it will penetrate hearts and opens eyes spiritually to life eternal. I ask these things in Jesus' name.